from the hosts that brought you to Coding Westworld and Westworld the Recapables comes the Ringer Prestige TV podcast on Westworld. I'm Joanna Robinson. I'm Danny Heifetz. And I'm David Shoemaker. Welcome to Westworld Season 4 in the Prestige TV podcast feed, where we're going to break down every episode of Westworld Season 4. Every Monday, the day after the show comes out on the Prestige TV podcast feed. Wherever you get your podcasts, but get them on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear are so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Welcome to Ringer Dish. I'm Juliette Littman. Today, I am joined by Nancy Jo Sales from Vanity Fair, who has written several magazine pieces that you know and you love, even if you don't know that. Nancy, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's so great to have you here. We first, um, me and the rest of the Ringer Dish crew, the producers behind the scenes, we were kind of going over some big milestones that we wanted to cover, and it came to our attention that it is the 24th anniversary of your piece for New York Magazine, Leo Prince of the City, about Leonardo DiCaprio, in which we all came to learn about the Pussy Posse. And I think that is like one of the most foundational pieces of celebrity journalism uh, of this era. And so I'm so excited to start there to talk with you about it. Were you, do you every June think about how it's another year since that piece? I never think about that piece. <laughs> Do people ask you about it frequently? Oh, well, yeah. I think about it when people ask me about it. And they often ask me about it. So I guess I do think about it. But I don't independently think, gee, I did that. No, (laughs) that doesn't happen in my brain. (laughs) Uh, What do people ask you about that story? Because for I will just say for like the ringers been around for six plus years. And we have talked about like the pussy posse in some capacity as like, God, that story. And like, oh, we should 
we should revisit it so much. Like for my generation, I think I am also like in the Titanic generation. It was so foundational. And I'm curious, like what people still ask you about it. Well, I think, you know, there are lots of different reasons why people still remember pieces. I mean, in this particular case of this piece, I think one of the main reasons is because it is a kind of celebrity journalism that doesn't really exist anymore mm-hmm. very, very much and um, or that it has morphed into other things, which I can explain in a sec. But what I mean is that now, even at the time, I was shocked that that New York Magazine printed that piece. And now it would be just <laughs> utterly impossible for anyone to print that piece because it's a skewering of celebrity culture. It's, right. a, it's a, a joke on celebrity culture. It's a mockery of celebrity culture and our obsession with it. And now I think celebrity, that piece was what, 97? 97? Yeah. Right. Now I think, no, it's got to be 98. 98. It was 98. Okay. Oh, okay, yeah, it was slightly yeah. removed from Titanic, which came out in 97. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it was, I mean, I just couldn't believe they ran it or put it on the cover. <laughs> and I think my boss at the time, John Holmans, who now sadly passed away, he was my editor at New York magazine. He was a great editor and we had a lot of fun together and we just kind of thought the same things were funny. Mm-hmm. And he just thought it was really funny. And I think he convinced the editor in chief at the time, who was Caroline Miller to run it on the cover. And in case you haven't read the article recently, but you should, and we'll put it in the show notes. so You can check it out. You found a kid who looked like him and went to planet Hollywood and tried to pretend it was Leo. And well, that happened towards the end of the journey. Yeah. The, the Leonardo DiCaprio piece is in a way a, a kind of classic format, which is the right around, mm-hmm. right around, W-R-I-T-E, around. And that means a piece that happens when you can't get the celebrity. So you do a right around. They do this a, a lot, you know, yeah. especially now there's just like everything almost seems like a right around. But um, yeah, except time, you're, you're quoting Instagram posts instead of uh, actual written books. Right. Exactly. So it was a write around, which means you have to put together a piece without the person themselves, which I was practiced at doing because I had written it. I had, I, I was never a writer, but I was a reporter at People Magazine and People Magazine did a lot of write arounds. Mm-hmm. So I just started doing it. The idea was that Leonardo DiCaprio is in this huge movie, this like almost, I think it was the first billion dollar movie. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he was, you know, young, he was about town. He was running around. He was still not quite like acting like a a full on grown up. And he, I mean, I think at one point in the piece, somebody says they're like kids. They come in here. They're like kids. Yeah. This was at the, all the big nightclubs. And that was a different time in New York. Okay. Context. New York city in the late (laughs) nineties was very different from New York city. Now everywhere was very different, but New York city, especially because New York city was full of celebrities out and about in nightlife all the time. They don't go out now because of, I think because of cell phones, because they, Mm. people will film them and it's annoying and everyone's got a camera and they might just not want their picture taken or they might, you know, they always had to dodge the paparazzi. But now they have to dodge every... Everyone's convict. paparazzi. Right. Yeah. Everyone is a paparazzi. Right? And we've all become our own paparazzi, which is I wrote about in a book called The Bling Ring. But um, you, there's, yeah. a really, there's a really great moment in the piece 
where you're talking to a publicist and, or, or I think you write that in New York, there's paparazzi and in LA there's publicists. And, and, <laughs> and so if you're trying to get comment or information on someone who's mostly in LA, you call their publicist. And if it's in New York, you go to the nightclubs and you try to, you know, talk to you, you use the paparazzi as well. I thought that was a really interesting distinction between the two yeah. cities that have probably become more similar over since, since you wrote that piece in a way. But I, I thought that was a really great anecdote. Yeah. And that was why a lot of celebrities used to come to New York so they could sort of escape that uh, kind of industry town mm-hmm. control over what was going on in LA. So, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio, he was, well, how old was he? Even like 25. Uh, I think. I think he was slightly younger. He had, he, and so the context is this was early 98 and he was 24 at the time and or 23 going on 24. Okay. And so he, he was really young and he had, he hung out with this group of guys and everyone would see them everywhere. And I asked Ken Sunshine, who was a big publicist, very famous publicist and Leo's publicist at the time, if I could do him for New York magazine, they wanted me to do a cover of him. Like what's it like post Titanic being, becoming so very famous post-Titanic. And Ken Sunshine said no. So I had to do, Leo had had too much press, you know. And he was in the tabloids a lot at the time for sort of acting up and acting out in New York City. So I had to do a piece on him. And I started just going out to nightclubs trying to find him. And everywhere I went, it seemed like, oh, he was just here. You just missed him kind of thing. So then I just sort of started talking to people about him. And this Mm -hmm. is how we came up with this whole concept of Leo mania, because it was just like this Leo, everyone was just obsessed with seeing him, hanging out with him, being in the same place as him. People were telling me they had danced with him in nightclubs and stuff, which probably (laughs) wasn't even true. And everyone, it it was weird because it was everyone from like Joe Blow at, on the dance floor at some nightclub to like Susan Sarandon. Like everyone was just (laughs) wanted to hang out with Leo who was, from everything that I heard at the time. And, and I think, you know, uh, people, it's not, you know, insulting to say this now. He's kind of a brat. Sure. Well, you know. I think we see that with, uh, like Justin Bieber. He's definitely a brat. Maybe he's moved out of his brat phase, but I feel like that's kind of what happens when you are a child star and then you get mega famous right at the beginning of your twenties. Like you're famous already. And then it goes to a different level. So Leo, yeah, he was still in his brat phase, all made all the worst by Titanic. So I went, you know, those days there was LexisNexis, but there wasn't like Google. And I always really loved to go to the library and read books about mm-hmm. people. It was like an excuse for me to go to the 42nd Street Library. So I was like, I want to see all the books on Leonardo DiCaprio. And I found these weird biographies that quoted all of these Uh, contemporaries of his. And I started to notice that they were the same, like they were Mm -hmm. the same people. He had this posse. It wasn't, I didn't know they called themselves the pussy posse yet, but it was, (laughs) it was Tobey Maguire. Lucas uh, Haas. Lucas Lucas Haas. Jay Ferguson. (laughs) Jay Ferguson. Right. I can't remember their names. Ethan Suppley a little bit. Ethan Suppley. David Blaine, the magician. Yes. Who I had, who I had done a piece on and actually talked to Leo about David Blaine because everyone loved David Blaine at the time and um, would talk to me about him. So that was the opposite. That was a piece where I got so many people to talk because they all wanted to like support this young magician. So I had talked to Leo on the phone 
about David Blaine. So I started to say, oh, these guys are always together. And they all sort of like know each other. I've got to find one of them to talk to me. Like I need to, I need, I need a mole. I need someone in that group who will talk to me and tell me what they do and what they're all about. So I just started reaching out to them, including David Blaine, who said, no, won't talk to you about Leo. I mean, it was like, it was like almost like Omerta. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Like the mafia, like none of them wanted to talk, (laughs) you know, like, no, Leo, no, no, don't no. How'd you get this number kind of thing? So I was just, I finally got one of them. I won't say which one he was a minor. He was a minor sort of satellite figure. And I can't say which one obviously, but he was like, yeah. And I think he was sort of maybe a little on the outs with them at the time, which is maybe why he talked about them. But he told me that, see, people mistakenly say that I made up this phrase. First of all, I'm a feminist. I would never do that. I would never make up the phrase, the pussy posse. Sure. I don't. In the piece, it's clear that you didn't. In the piece, you, you make it clear that they call themselves that. Okay, good. Because if you Google it, it always is attributed to me. And right. it's always said that I made it up, which I didn't. I would just would never. That's not in my. It's such a gross phrase. I, I don't know a lot of women who enjoy the, what I call the two P words, pussy and panties. Ugh, they both are horrible. Like, I don't think a lot of women would be like, yeah, let's call that group of friends that. Also, I don't think women, a lot of women think about their own vaginas that way. So I just. I don't <laughs> say pussy unless I'm like in bed with someone and trying to, you know. Be sexy or something, but I know I, Even, my, I can't imagine that for myself. Ugh. But it's well, try it sometime. But outside of my own, my doorbell's ringing. Sorry, no problem. Do I'm I get sorry, it? I'm busy. I gotta call you. I gotta come back later, please. Anyway, I don't know who it is. Unless okay. it's um, unless it's like in the confines of my own bedroom in my own bed, I do not say pussy. It's just not a word I say. So please don't ever say anyone out there on the internet that I made this up ever again. Cause I did not. <laughs> anyway, So yeah. So this guy's like, yeah, they call themselves the pussy person. I was like, what? Oh my God. That's just, and he told me that they were sort of notorious for getting girls to sleep with them and all this kind of stuff. This is what he told me. And he said that actually, I don't know. You know what? I'd have to check the piece. It's been so long ago. I don't know if he told me that they called themselves that, or if he said that people in Hollywood called them that and that they just sort of adopted the, like they thought it was funny. Right. Now now the same group of guys, like not exactly the same, but Leo has a new group and they call themselves, they're, they're new and old. They call themselves the wolf pack. Mm. And I know some, I've written stories with some of those guys too. Like Richie Akiva is in there. Oh, interesting. I think he's like the major domo of the wolf pack kind of. Oh, interesting. Here, here's what the piece says, just, just so we can be clear. It says, they're the fun-loving guys you always see Leo around with. Even before there was Leo mania, Leo always traveled with his pack of devotees known in Hollywood circles as the Pussy Posse. That's Okay, so there you go. Yeah. I think that this guy told me that, but then, you know, you don't want to, blow up the guy's spot by sure. attributing it to him. So then it's clear it's somebody that they know and they can like narrow it down to five people. So, right. Yeah. So I think that's why it was phrased that way, but I think they did call themselves that. And, um, one of them, a couple of them have denied it, but anyway, that's what I heard. And <laughs> it seems, well, I would it deny seems- it too. Probably. I mean, if you're Toby McGuire and your phase <laughs> married to Jen Mayer, that's a tough look as also you're supposed to be like Peter Parker, you know, sort of like the the fresh faced new Spider-Man. I feel like for Tobey Maguire, he had a phase in between being like 
Leo's best friend basically until he got divorced a few years ago where he was like trying to have a different persona. So doesn't surprise me. <laughs> well, they were all apparently very jealous of Leo because they'd all sort of started out together. That's right? in the piece too. Yeah. I, I'm not surprised that someone's talked, someone narked because when they were little, they yeah. were all on different shows and they were all child. The, the, most of them were child stars, you know, and they were friends and they were buddies. So then they wound up like being guys I mean, Toby McGuire got a career. Lucas Haas did a little bit, but I mean, you know, he's actually a great actor. Yeah. He didn't, none of them reached the heights at that time that Leo had and they were jealous and there was infighting and there was sort of this kind of like jockeying for position and who is more of Leo's friend. And, you know, they were just riding his coattails around to all these nightclubs and sort of cutting up. And they got into some trouble. Like there was the whole Elizabeth Berkeley mm-hmm. incident. You That's know, the piece as well. Yeah. I'm not really sure what the legal resolution of that whole case was, but allegedly on behalf of Leo, they knocked out this guy, hit him in the throat and like hurt him pretty bad. I think who had been Elizabeth Berkeley's husband like they had been calling they saw her in showgirls and they were like hey come out with us to the club and there was actually i forget her name but this kind of publicist or something mm-hmm. who's like pimp looked like trying to act as like pimping her out like to come out and meet them and it's all really gross hollywood stuff and um she was just like no i'm like with elizabeth berkeley said you know i'm with my boyfriend and then at some point i don't know if he like went down there the boyfriend where they were and confronted them it's been so long. I can't remember. Or they saw him another time and they like hit him and stuff. It's pretty wild. You know, it's, I uh, just rewatched knocked up. Cause that's coming out. Um, that's 15 years ago, which is hard to believe. And oh, you got all, you're on, on top of all the milestones. Well, we just, we do that. The ringer. We're like, what was 15 years? But you know, people nostalgia plays. So we, we, we follow it anyway. I just rewatched knocked up. And one of my takeaways from watching that movie was like the things that young men do together as a group are like actually even worse than I think I could have imagined as, you know, based on my own experience as a woman. <laughs> and, and I'm just, and this also was like confirmed that I was like, wow, these actually were like kind of monsters. And I, I actually think Leo seems like he's evolved and I, I'm curious for your take on that as well. But it was almost like even in Kevin Connolly was in this group too, who was then went on to be an entourage, which was famously, based on Mark Wahlberg and his group. But, yeah, but this, it, I mean, it, it was really more like Leo. Yeah. It, it reminded all, me so much of that. I mean, because Mark Wahlberg was never the size of the star that Leo is and the guy in Entourage was. So right. I almost felt like this was almost like Entourage was almost like maybe Mark Wahlberg's life, like plus my Leo story, because it was, it was really, it was really exactly about that. But yeah, they got a, I mean, but what, they did, I think, or what you say, like guys do, and to which the phrase, unfortunately, boys will be boys is often applied. Um, yeah, some of it, I think, was a little gross. Yeah, absolutely. And it is funny to me that Kevin Connolly is like kind of like that through line be- between the Pussy Posse and Entourage. And I think that Kevin Connolly actually is like a secret sort of very connected behind the scenes person who has his tentacles in a lot of different parts of Hollywood who also really? seems to, why, why do you think that? Like, well, you know, he's still like the, to your point that I don't know who exactly is in the wolf he's pack. one of the people who denied that they called themselves that. Interesting. I'm not, again, I'm not surprised to hear that because <laughs> he, um, the lady I just be- death protests too much. Well, 
just because he's gonna, he's like now director, he's made some documentaries. I think that like some of these guys sort of just kind of took their careers and, and honestly more interesting directions, like good for them and maybe grew up a little bit. You know, I don't know him personally, so I can't really say, but I think that the two that are the three that Leo is still friends with, at least are Lucas Haas, Kevin Connolly and Toby McGuire. Like they've been photographed together over the last few years again. And so, you know, for preserving the sanctity of what they have, I feel like in, in 2022, you don't really want that moniker anymore. So although I would say Wolfpack is equally embarrassing since that's, I believe the name of the group in the hangover. So it's not particularly, uh, creative i think well, so. there, there's a through line between the pussy posse and the hangover movies i think yeah totally this is all i think part of the kind of the culture that spilled out into what replaced rom-coms and like the aughts basically like the comedy culture have you ever seen woody allen's celebrity no i have not well it was made around the same time uh whatever you think of woody allen uh there's plenty to say there for another time but Celebrities are very good, maybe, I think. And it's also this skewering of celebrity culture at the time. And Leo plays Leo, basically. Mm. He plays a ratty, spoiled, top-of-the-heap actor. And he's um, he's kind of, I think, lampooning himself because you yeah. know, he's, just a, he's just a jerk. Right. And, <laughs> and, you know, it's funny because when I was doing this story, you have to understand, I was like 30, early 30s, right? And I'd been running around all over town looking for Leo, going to all these nightclubs, uh, talking to all these people. And I guess it got out. It was around that um, I was doing this story. And it's not hard to find out my phone number. I think I was in the phone book. Also, I'm handing out my card, trying to get people to talk to me. So I'm there. Your your office line, your home line? Like, What kind of phone are we talking here? Well, back in those days, there were phone books. Right. And like your number was in the phone book. Got it. I was just wondering what was on your business. Like every, every few, (laughs) I don't know if my home phone number was on it. Maybe because I wanted to always be available to people as a reporter, especially the kind of stories that I did, you know, people get a notion to call you at three in the morning or something and tell you something, which is what happened. My phone rings. It was like three in the morning and there are all these guys and I have no proof that it was quote unquote, the pussy posse, but it sure sounded like I'm, and they mm. were saying some pretty gross stuff to me. Wow. That's wild. How interesting. Like they were like, oh, yeah. I didn't hear Leonardo DiCaprio's voice, but I heard some other voices I might recognize. And they were saying, oh, you want to, I hear you want to do a story about our boy Leo, Leo, you know. And they were um, saying like really rude, vulgar, weird things. <laughs> so I, mean, I don't, don't want to know more. <laughs> well, in the 90s, you just sort of went like, oh, you know, because that's, it was before me too and everything. And you were just supposed to like be a guy's girl and say like, ah, so right. what, you know, right. but so, but there was a dark underbelly to all this is what I'm saying. Like the Elizabeth Berkeley thing and like that phone call and hearing different stories, there was this dark underbelly to it. But at the time, all you could do was just make fun of it. Cause that's all mm-hmm. you were like allowed to do. So I think probably the extreme kind of, mocking tone of it came out of me like I said as a feminist thinking this was all disgusting and wanting to maybe approach it in a different way but the only way you really could was to laugh right so that's why I was just like laughing and laughing and 
There's a real sardonic tone to it, though. Like, I think I think that comes clear, at least to me, rereading it now, that it's not just, like, all fun and games. Like, the skewering and the the disapproval is, I think, is evident. Um, so Yeah, well, on behalf of all of those girls that got caught up in the pussy pasta web, I hope so. <laughs> Including, wasn't Rose McGowan in there at some point? I think I, she was, but I don't, I don't quite remember all of the other women because, you know, one thing I wanted to ask you is it's just, it's just curious because I mean, not curious, striking because she's become like a me too hero sure. and, and, and yeah. she was in, I think their orbit at some point. It makes sense around also like that was when she was probably her peak fame was around that time as well. Um, the scream movies were yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That kind of like the pop horror sort of. And then was she in the craft? I don't think she was, but that's I sort of associate her. I think she was in one of the screens. Yeah, she was. She was. Why do you think Leo has. Did been... you want to hear about the did you want to hear about the double? Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, please help. Please tell us. <laughs> right. So I did this thing, which I think I was the first person to do, if not one of the first, which is that I God, because people started sort of copying it and doing it later. And, you know, it was just like a fun, it became sort of like a fun celebrity thing to do. I was just desperate for someone. I was like, I cannot write this story. I have nothing. I have nothing. I have just a bunch of people like mouthing off in nightclubs. Like I have nothing. And I was complaining as writers do to another journalist, a friend of mine named Greg Serio. And we were sitting in this bar and he said, there he is. He was just like teasing me. But he was also pointing out that this young man down the bar vaguely resembled Leonardo DiCaprio. So I said, I just had this idea. I said, do you want to be Leonardo DiCaprio for a night? And he said, sure. And we had spent this disastrous night. Like it was like trying to be a night on the town with Leonardo DiCaprio with a New York magazine budget. So like we had this beat up limo and you know, I got one of my friends who is a photographer to pretend to be a paparazzi following us around. And, and I got this friend of mine who was a bouncer at a nightclub to pretend to be Leo security. And we went around town and people went crazy. Like they wanted, and I was playing the reporter. And so we would follow Leo down Times Square, Leo, quote unquote, it was really this kid who was like in the city for the summer for an internship. And I forget his name. And we were, I think it was Troy, (laughs) Troy, Troy. Right. And he was like doing a wall street internship. He was in college and he had this baseball cap pulled down over his face. People wanted to believe it was Leo. So I was, I was, had a tape recorder and I was saying, so Leo, what's it like to be Leo, Leo, since you're so now famous, famous now Leo. And people were like running after us. They just believed immediately, immediately believed and wanted to believe that this was him and people were taking his picture. And then we went to planet Hollywood and like the publicist for planet Hollywood who happened to be there, like in the office came and said, um, Keith Barish, who's this big investor in planet Hollywood. He went, he, a rich guy, he would like to fly in from the Hamptons and meet with Leo. And we said, <laughs> Oh no, this is getting out of control. It's the security guard was, you know, the guy playing the security guard was, fending people off. They were like crowding our table. But my favorite moment was when these two like middle school girls marched up to the table. They were like at a birthday party at Planet Hollywood. First of all, Leonardo DiCaprio would never go to Planet Hollywood, but, but anyone could could ever think that he would even go there. It's just insane. Hilarious. Yeah. And they marched up <laughs> to our table and they looked at Troy and they said, 
that's not Leo. And they just like, sort of marched away. People were throwing themselves at the car, which got at the, at the limo, which got into an accident. So yeah, that was just my, you know, kind of hail Mary to have some content for this piece. And then at the end, <laughs> this line was Troy says, I don't like being Leo. <laughs> I don't want to be Leo anymore. So um, yeah, that was the Leo piece. And it, I think is, um, I saw this quote from somebody recently. It's all over the internet, probably that said like, look at who you cannot criticize. And that's who, you know, rules over you. And I kind of feel like that's sort of where we've come with celebrity culture, because now yeah. the pieces to, unless the person's done something incredibly bad, like army hammer or something, you know, and they're getting canceled. The pieces are so slavishly puffy. Yeah. Puffy. And it's, I, I just, I, I never really like doing celebrity pieces for that reason that they expect you to be so complimentary. Like and, yeah. Yeah. It's not even the, I mean, I just, it's not even that I want to criticize somebody. It's just more like, I'd like to present a real person. Right. Rather right. than this godlike image. Sure. That's really interesting. And it's funny. I think Leo is really interesting because I don't think he has this godlike image. And he's kind of like one of the last celebrities that I think you, that people make fun of a little bit, but in return, he doesn't ever talk. Like he doesn't do any press. I guess he doesn't have to. After that piece. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I guess, I mean, you changed it for everyone, but. um. Well, no, it's just, I think he, I mean, I wish. I could even put myself in the same sentence as Truman Capote, but it had a similar chilling effect on him, his relationship with the press. I think that like the Duke in his domain, a famous piece by Truman Capote about Marlon Brando, mm-hmm. uh, Marlon, Marlon Brando basically never talked to the media. I think after that piece, because it's just like, they're like, okay, nothing good can come out of this, you know? Yeah. And so I think he did sort of, well, also he was the star of Titanic. He basically doesn't have to talk to anybody anymore if he doesn't want to. Right. And all I can think of him really doing is like round tables for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood a few years ago. But like when he would do them, it was always like with Quentin Tarantino, with Brad Pitt, with Margot Robbie. Like he never does stuff like just him really. But he is still photographed all the time. Like my lasting image of Leo, at least at this point, is like not from any of those movies, but of him wearing like shorts and a t-shirt and like on a city bike or on a yacht with his girlfriend and who like whoever that is at the time, although he has been with his current girlfriend for a few years. And I'm curious, like why you think he is sort of above the kind of ridicule that even like Jake Gyllenhaal was subjected to and by Taylor Swift recently, where people just kind of like accept it with Larry. just like, yeah, that's what he does. Young, young girlfriends, good actor does his thing. I mean, you know, it's funny because like when you write a piece like that or or any kind of thing that comes up in celebrity culture as a journalist, you know, people think that you must have personal feelings about this person. I really don't have any personal feelings about Leonardo DiCaprio one way or another. I've liked some of his movies. I haven't liked some of his movies. I thought, you know, Catch Me If You Can was one of my, yeah, it's a great movie. Uh, J. Edgar's like, you know, I couldn't get through it, but Mm -hmm. I do think that he has evolved enormously as an actor. You know, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is just a masterpiece, mm-hmm. for want of a better word. And he, <laughs> he is brilliant in it. Yeah, and he's really he good. Has, he's really like 
sort of embraced or ex- just very much accepted his aging face and his aging persona on screen in a way that's like really amazing to watch. And I think he's a great actor now, like so much better than he ever was. He's just, he's just fantastic. Well, no, that's not true. He was great in Gilbert Grape. He's always been good. Gilbert Grape gra- is a really good movie. I think he needs the right, he needs the right director, but long story short, I don't really care who he dates. I don't really care what he does. I don't really think about Leonardo DiCaprio and I'm absolutely sure he doesn't think about that piece or about me. I do. I do think that his work for the environment is important Mm -hmm. and I'm, you know, really have a thing for tigers. I love tigers and he's been working to save the tigers. So I think it's all really great. And, and I wish him the best. And I, like I said, I I know Richie Akiva somewhat because I wrote a story about him too. And his posse, different posse for New York Magazine, also around the same era. In fact, I think they're in that. I think they met around that time. And oh, that's just, funny. Yeah. Well, Richie Akiva is a nightlife impresario. He's had a mm-hmm. lot of really big nightclubs called Butter and One Oak. I knew him when he was just like a party <laughs> promoter at Lot 69 with his friends. And now he hangs out with Leo all the time. And they go all over the world on yachts and have, you know, liaisons apparently. So I've heard with models constantly and Hey, good for them. You know, whatever, as long as they're treating those young women, right. And, and, you know, uh, everything's consensual. Go for it. Yeah. I, (laughs) I, I agree. I, I, but one thing you said at the very beginning is how celebrity coverage and culture has evolved to you. Like what's the biggest difference? Oh, I mean, there's more of it. That's mm-hmm. the main thing. It's just mm-hmm. everywhere all the time, 24-7. And that's for a lot of different reasons that I've written about, other people have written about. I watched happen because I was I was part of it. You know, like I mean, I was I was part of the media when this began to happen. You know, I just did a piece on the Depp Heard trial and how yeah. similar it was to Clint Eastwood and Sandra Locke's uh, court battles in the 80s and 90s because I, it was just it was just like the National Enquirer, the Star, and People Magazine. There was no court TV. There was no TMZ. There weren't a million tabloids. There wasn't like it would have been it would have been embarrassing for the TV news, you know, when I was a kid to report on celebrities. I mm-hmm. mean, that just wasn't done. I mean, unless that that just wasn't part of jur- real journalism. Celebrity right. journalism was not real journalism, you know, which I always thought was very snobby, but now it's gone way over the top to the other side. Whereas it's just like, it's just, it's become like the lens through which we see almost everything. And I, I bemoan that because um, I interview a lot of kids, you know, my, my, a couple of my books are about kids and teenagers and, um, I just, I started to notice how they just have this thing where they want to be famous. I want to be famous. I want to be famous. That started in the nineties and it's now it's just pretty universal. And there's even studies that show that that is what most young people want is to be famous as if it's, as if it's any better than like being a kindergarten teacher or something. Sure. Which, yeah. Which it's not. I yes, mean, there's no true, more. I can tell you. <laughs> um, I think that's a, uh, that comes through really clearly with the bling ring where the not just if you can't be famous being fame adjacent or having like the kind of the signifiers of fame and it's it's depressing i mean 
Another piece that you wrote that I I really enjoyed and um, reread in advance of chatting with you was about uh, Paris and Nikki Hilton and when they kind of like made their debut and the New York scene when Nikki was 16 and Paris was 19. Long before The Simple Life, long, long before Kathy Hilton appeared on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And, you know, to your point about teenagers it's hard to believe that they, they were ever actually teenagers, like, and like were underage because they've been sort of like this. I feel like they've been in Amber as like, they were 16 and 19. And that's, yeah. it's, that's so uh, accurate to, to reference that piece because that is the piece in which Paris says, I thought it was so striking at the time. Now it seems like every kid says this, but at the time she said, I said, well, what do you think you want to do? And she said, I want to be famous. Yeah. And I can't do her voice. <laughs> But I I like to do voices. I love, I love impressions. I love Bill Hader's impressions. I like, I, I, He's love so to good. Do, yeah, he's awesome. I wish I could do them. I can't really do them, but you know, she had that kind of baby voice. And, and, and I said, I said, what do you want to do? And she said, I want to be famous. And I said, for what? Like doing what? Like whatever, you know, like just like, <laughs> like whatever. And that is the thing that everybody always says. It's become like a thing that old people grouch about, like on Facebook, like those Kardashians, they never learned to sing and dance like Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland. You know, I mean, it's just, it's a whole different ballgame. It's a whole different world. It's a whole different kind of fame. And um, reality TV did it. And, you know, it just changed. So that's what's different mainly is that there's more of it and it's all the time. And, everybody has to have their hot take on the Depp Heard trial. Not that I don't think that trial wasn't significant. It was, but it's no, like there are a million trials going on all the time that demand our, deserve our attention. But this is the one that we all looked at because this one had cameras too, which yes. Well, court TV came out, launched in 91, I think. Yeah. So it just was a kind of slow build to where now it's just everywhere. That's the main thing. And the other thing is like, yeah, it does seem like the whole concept of super fans is some in the beehive and, you know, these kind of the way that social media has become weaponized in the service of celebrity. And while look at the Johnny Depp trial, the way that his side uh, allegedly reportedly used the internet and used social media to, you know, plead their case to the court of public opinion and they won. Yeah. I find that incredibly dispiriting. I find everything with that. I mean, and I'm, and I'm by the, by, I feel like I have to say this, so I don't know why I'm not like pro Amber Heard. I, I like similar to you. I don't really care about Amber Heard. I also don't care no, about Johnny I Depp. Say, I didn't say I didn't care about Amber Heard. I care a lot about Amber Heard. I don't I, care I'm about, saying I don't care. I'm saying you said you don't care about Leo. I don't care about Amber Heard. Oh, I do care about her because I think that she's been wronged. By, she has. I mean, this yeah. is, this is a travesty. I mean, this is like a, yeah. this is, this is awful. I mean, it, and I think, you know, there are, as you said, there's plenty of cases we should be paying attention to, but the ramifications of this about like what abuse survivors can and can't say when they don't even name someone and also freedom of speech and the op-ed page and how we view uh, women when they're telling their stories. is just like, it's just, a, it's, it's so, so disappointing among, it's just really terrible. It is disappointing. And, and yet I'm not at all surprised you know, I like I, when I was talking before about how you really couldn't say certain things in the 90s, people find that curious. Like, really? Why? Um, sexism? You know, we were in a, t- a time of terrible backlash. This is worse. I agree. This is worse. 
you think you couldn't say things then like wait till the next time somebody needs to write or talk about any of this. It's going to be almost impossible. I, yeah. have, I, I did a documentary film for HBO called swiped, which is about online dating. And I've been looking around for another project, a documentary project. And during the whole Depp Heart trial, I just kept thinking I would love to do this, not this trial because that's just so overcovered and undone, but really Amber Heard and what's happened to her. And I started thinking about it and, and, and talking to some people about it. And it was it one, I mean, it, it can be done and it will be done. Someone will, if not I, someone will do a great documentary about Amber Heard and what's happened to her. And now, cause I read about social media and how the social media has just been used as this tool to like kill yeah. her reputation, to destroy her image, destroy her, her truth, you know, all this kind of stuff. But when we were talking about it, it was, it's like, it kept coming up. Like, well, what are we going to be able to say though? Like you will have to, whoever does it will have to hedge what they say so much because now we'll see you. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's also just like the fact that celebrity culture has evolved. It's not just celebrity culture, but Hollywood has evolved to like Johnny Depp, not making pirate six is something he could even attempt and then successfully blame on Amber Heard. Yeah. It had nothing to do with the fact, I guess that he was addicted to many different kinds of drugs and and, uh, abusing, abusing alcohol and, you know, had all kinds of erratic behavior that his own agent, you know, testified about. So maybe they couldn't get insurance. I know nothing to do with that must've been Amber. Right. You know, and her and her op-ed in the Washington Post, which everybody reads, in which he did wasn't even named, right? You know. Yeah. Also, the fact that there could be a pirate six. I don't who wants that? Are we seriously wanting pirate six? I mean maybe, maybe it was five. I actually God, God love the people who love the pirates movies, but it's not my <laughs> cup of tea. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. 
Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. What are your favorite stories to write now? Like just given how it's difficult to what you can and can't say. And I think also access is just more challenging because celebrities have a direct pipeline to their audience through social media. Like what kind of stories do you find like genuinely interesting and do you enjoy pursuing? You mean celebrity stories or any kind of stories? Really any kind of stories, but celebrities as well. But I, you know, I'm just sort of curious about how your career has evolved. Well, for celebrity stories, I've always wanted to do, I've always found it more interesting to do the person who has some controversy attached to them, who's quote unquote difficult or unusual in some way. I, I did a story once on Dennis Rodman mm-hmm. at the height of his fame uh, with Carmen Electra. And he, he canceled on me at the last minute after I had flown across the country to do it. It was for a, a magazine that doesn't exist anymore called Detour. Oh. And um, so <laughs> I really wanted to do the story. It was a, it was a cover story and he was dating Carmen Electra at the time. And he got the, I, he just wasn't in the mood to do the thing. And I was like, I was like, what? I was at his hotel. I was in his hotel room with him. He was like, I don't want to do this right now. And I was like, oh, well, I got to go back, you know? And I think I was on my period and I started to cry, which I didn't do strategically or to manipulate him or anything. But he was like, Oh no, don't cry. You know, and he got like really, really, you know, then he just wanted to like do everything to make me happy, including offering to have me watch while he and Carmen Electra had sex. And I was like, eh, eh, I don't know how to answer this. I think I better go talk to my editor, you know? So, um, yeah. So I love doing stories on people like that because crazy things like that happen. That of course was the lead of the story, not me watching them, but him offering. Sure. And, and I, um, I don't know. I'd love to do a story on Amber Heard for all the reasons we just discussed. I'd love to do. And, and that she has, because the controversy all often, whatever is attached to them brings out a way to talk about something more interesting than just like, being this wonderful celebrity on this wonderful show. Sure. Jennifer Aniston staring out the window, her perfect poreless skin glows, you know, like I'd rather have somebody who's in the mix or doing something that's ruffling feathers so that we can talk about what that is so that you can elevate the piece from just pure celebrity to something about issues in the news. I'd love to do a story on, on Kim. Oh, how do you pronounce his name? Kim. Yeah, Kim Jong-un. Yeah. (laughs) He loves celebrity culture himself. Well, I would love to do a story on him. I mean, everything about him is so funny. And I and I like to do, I like, I mean, not funny. Okay. Not funny that he's like oppressing people. Yes. But you know, it's like the same when I say funny, it's like the same impulse that Chaplin had in doing the great dictator, which is like that is a way to kind of 
do a takedown that doesn't have to be offensive. Well, you know, he may have read your Dennis Rodman piece because he really likes Dennis Rodman. That's right. <laughs> they became friends, right? Yes. yes. He went to Western schools. So he like, and he went to his schooling was in Europe and he's like a really big um, Air Jordan fan. Like he's a sneakerhead, or he was before he became the dictator of North Korea. But he is a big pop culture fan. So there's, it's actually, how do you know all this? Like, how did you become such a pop culture fan? Did you, were you one of those kids who grew up, you know, just like consuming, consuming, consuming? How old are you? I am 36. So what were the things, where did you get your pop culture fix when you were say in your teens? Oh my goodness. Well, I was a huge consumer of everything on the WB. Felicity is still like a halt, you know, foundational for me. I also love Dawson's Creek, but I just like watched a lot of television from a very young age. And I like watched life goes on. I watched friends in ER in real time. And my household subscribed to people and us and like I don't, in touch for a time. Um, so this is like around the time that I worked there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I like I love I mean, I loved all this stuff. And then, you know, I'm like, really, I, when I was like, it's funny that I work in podcasting because when I was like 13, I when I, I TRL was very important to me and I really wanted yes. to be a VJ. I, and before that, I really, yeah, and I really my dream job for a long time was being the Z100 morning show host. So I don't know. I just kind of like always loved talking about pop culture. And I also like really as a kid fell in love with like writers like John Irving and I was also a really big Dickens fan. Like I really loved a long and intricate, somewhat mundane story. So <laughs> I think the mundanities of it is like really fascinating to me. And then, you know, I don't find Dickens mundane. I think it's, he's so talk about funny. Yeah. You know, he used to, he used to stand in front of the mirror and act out his characters in front of the mirror, all his, you know, uh, funny, weird, characters he would he would think of voices for them and everything i think he's hilarious and you know my daughter who's a film student she and i were just talking about um the new kind of series the kind of series like stranger things or breaking bad Mm -hmm. or whatever it's like to me it's the greatest art form right now oh i agree i completely agree that and it is so similar to dickens in the Mm -hmm. way because you know he wrote these serials every week or whatever it was every few weeks you know, whatever the technology allowed at the time, the printing, people want to see what's going to happen next to little Dorrit, you know, yeah. and, and, um, what's the next thing going to happen with, you know, Oliver Twist and all these totally. kind of things. Yeah. No, well, I, I, mean, I completely agree. Great expectations. And, uh, the world according to Garp were like my two favorite books from this, like for my entire teens. Um, yeah. The and world according to Garp. Yeah. It's a great <laughs> book. It is a good book. Um, it is a very, very strange book. Oh my God. It's like certainly an interesting way to learn about uh, blowjobs. So <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> but there, I just like really um, loved that kind of like view of the world. Uh, I didn't I wouldn't say I loved it, but it intrigued me and it was so different. And it was just like, I, I don't know. And so I found pop culture to be a way to like understand other things. Also, I grew up in New York city. I never left. I never went West of like, Michigan until I was like 21. What and high school did you go to? Bronx science. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Like I, I was like on, on the subway every day. So you were like, like, you were like a smart nerd girl who loved 
yes. pop culture. Yes, I raced That's home. So adorable. Thank you. I used to race home from <laughs> school to to watch like I don't know. I used to watch Baywatch reruns when I was like in elementary school, and then or I guess it was in syndication, but it wasn't reruns. And then, um, do you remember the very early message board culture of like Watch with Wanda on E, which then became, Kristen finally revealed herself, Kristen Dos Santos, um, and like TV without pity, like message board culture around television yeah. was so important to me. And that's what I would like yeah. spend hours upon hours of doing when I was like 16. I would just like be look. I was like looking to read like the sides that like Misha Barton would read for the OC when she was like, or, or whoever the guest star was that week. I was like, wow, you can find wow. this online. This is amazing. So I was obsessed and I remain obsessed. And that's why I know that Kim Jong-un loves sneakers and went to school in the West. See, it's funny because I was not, I was never obsessed with pop culture uh, in that way. I I always, I I kind of got thrust into it at people and I needed a job, you know? And, (laughs) and so I, but, (laughs) and I always kind of tried to figure out a way to make it. Yeah. I think I already said this, like about something else. Like when I finally did it, I, but I learned how to write it, how to write a celebrity profile at people. Right. It's a form. It's a formula. But right. then, then you can do something fun and interesting and weird with the formula. But even I think people probably don't even understand. Like people, Matt Magazine used to be something completely different. Like it was sort of, I don't know. Like it just it it, it was it the only moved, one. So it was it huge. moved closer towards uh, it was huge, and also it moved closer towards being like us and in touch as those got bigger, like towards the end of it's like, I don't know, in, in the nineties, but before that, but people but, looked, people always looked down on celebrity journalism in those days, but I can tell you from having worked at people, it was just full of really excellent top journalists who'd come from yeah. big places like life magazine and after it folded and, and there was intense fact checking. I was terrified of the fact checking chief there named Nancy Williamson. And I, was so afraid. I would wake up in the middle of the night and go, like, oh, is Kevin Costner 38 or 39? Oh my God. <laughs> you know, like it was just like, it was really factually based. Now there was a whole lot of fudge. They couldn't get the story half the time because people wouldn't talk to people right. unless they had to, but then, or they needed to, or it would do something for them. And so they would do tons and tons of write arounds. And so I was the reporter. I'd have to like go find the high school friend of Tom Cruise who would, you know, tell us this whole thing but about like Tom, you know, whatever. And I, I remember actually talking to, well, that's a bad story about Tom Cruise. So I better not tell it because I don't want to get me or you sued. You don't want, yeah, don't get, no. let's not get in trouble. But no, no, no. And it was just from, who knows if it was even true. That's what I'm trying to say is because like a lot of this reporting information that would come in there. Yes, it was from real sources, but how reliable was it? And how reliable is any of that still? And you still see it in, in, in celebrity reporting to this day, you know, says a friend sources says say, a, yeah. says a close friend sources say, yeah. whenever you see, whenever you see, I can tell you this right now, a story about a couple who's supposedly a couple, it's pretty much just speculation on the part of people who don't know what they're talking mm-hmm. about. Like, well, they were at the restaurant and they looked very close and you know, this and that it's all bullshit. <laughs> you know, I was just last weekend looking through some old life magazines at a thrift store and it was like, the covers were amazing. Like I took a picture of some of them and in the ringer to sports and pop culture. And I saw this picture, this um, cover of life that was from, I guess the seventies. And 
it was like a split and that how they used to do a lot of covers like that. And the left side was just how Nick, the Nixon administration blocked justice. And the right side was a picture of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar against uh, Wilt Chamberlain. And I was just like, this is, this is great. I was like, did I miss my calling in the 60s? Should I have been born before when these two stories are on the cover of life magazine together? But you know, I, I think that there just used to be like a, a much, even, even when celebrities did make it onto the cover of something like that. It was much more measured. And I think there were still rules, but I don't know. I just, I've been thinking a lot about this. So it's, it's just interesting. It's not that celebrity culture didn't exist. Of course it did. And people yeah. like Chaplin very early on saw how they could fund, they could make money from merch. You know, that's how he funded a lot of his films. He wanted creative control. So he made Chaplin dolls and, right. you know, all this kind of stuff. So this, you know, that's just like McDonald's figurines of Star Wars characters. It's like kind of invented by Charlie <laughs> the Chaplin. Happy Meal, yeah. Yeah, no, he thought of that kind of, I think he was a pioneer in that. But what I'm trying to say is it was relegated to a certain realm of life. Right. It was like over there and it was kind of frivolous. Now it's everywhere and it's taken so seriously. Including here. Um, <laughs> it was so wonderful talking with you. I really appreciate it. And so fascinating to hear about all the work that went into that story and your work over the, the last few decades in general. So thank you so much for more. Can I of, mention oh, of course. some things yeah. that people could check out? I was just going to say that. So yes, please do. Well, if you want to read the Leo story or other stories, it's uh, com. just my name.com. I do have swiped on HBO. It's on HBO Max a documentary about online dating. I had a book come out last year, nothing personal about, it's a kind of like an investigation of the online dating industry and my own personal experiences with Tinder and stuff. And I got into some scuffles with Tinder and the match group along the way. <laughs> and of course there's American Girls, which is the big book that I did six years ago. I was one of the first people to talk about the harm of social media on teenage girls. When it came out, everyone was like, you're a Luddite. And now everyone knows it's true. So, but it's still true. And if you want to know the reasons why it's still very relevant. I think. Definitely. I also would say it's beyond uh, teenagers are most at risk, but I think it's also just everyone. It's so, so uh, well, look, what hap- look, look what happened. I mean, again, we keep, cause yeah. this verdict just came in. We keep going back to Amber Heard, but look what happened to her. I mean, yeah, it's just, terrible. it's just, uh, yeah. Well, I made that case in my book, American Girls, and I still will say it to this day. The internet is in the service of, but not, not the internet, but social media and social media companies. It's really in the service of misogyny and it's really done uh, incredibly terrible things to women and girls and, and others as well, LGBTQ people. It's full of racism that goes unchecked. And I, I, uh, I have thought and I still do think even as someone who's a staunch supporter of the first amendment, obviously we need regulation. Yeah. Um, we need government regulation of these companies because people are, people are being hurt. They're basically utilities. So they should be treated that way. Yep. Thank you so much. And thanks to Mike Wargon for producing this episode. We'll be back. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom 
in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.